BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We had the New Hampshire primary last night that was basically in line with what we were expecting. Bernie Sanders won. Uh, I think uh, there was some expectation that he would that he would win by a a, a, um, a bigger margin that he than he did, but he won, and uh, so Pete Buttigieg came in a very close second place, within like two percentage points. Yeah, or pretty close, right? and and it and it, it uh, decreased over the course of the evening. I think right. um, tightened up. A bit. Yeah, early evening. I think uh, Sanders was maybe. What it was maybe like, you know, 27 Sanders, 20 Buttigieg or 22. Yep. Uh, so Buttigieg caught up over the course of the evening. And then another big surprise, although it's a little unclear kind of whether it matters or whether it means anything, was uh, Amy Klobuchar coming in a coming in a serious third. And it's about 20 percent. Yeah, about 19 and a half, 20, something like that. Right. And the, you know, again, not a big surprise from the vantage point of a few days ago, but certainly from the Mm -hmm. vantage point of much of the last year that Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren just also rans like way back behind single digits. Yeah. High single did what they both got eight or nine, something like that. Uh, which is, you know, battling for fourth and fifth place, which is whether you supported those two or not is just sort of, is just pretty wild. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a, it was a sign of the race or his standing that Biden wasn't even in New Hampshire last night. He had skipped town to go to South Carolina. Yeah. Which is not even the next contest. Yeah, which is not even the next Yeah, Although it's the kind of the... It's the it's the it's the big one for him. Yeah, right, right. It's his f- quote unquote firewall, right? Right. You know, and the funny thing, uh, Robert Gibbs was on TV last night. I think on CNN, maybe MSNBC, and he was a big. I, I'm not. Sure, I don't remember. I think his role was uh, chief, you know, communications person, press secretary for Obama in the 2008 campaign. Then he became the White House press secretary, which I think he did for two or three years. Uh, any case, he was on last night, and he pointed something out that uh, sort of obvious when someone says it, but I had not quite thought about this, that you have – now tell me if I'm right here. So basically, Nevada is a week from now, mm-hmm. and then South Carolina is a week after that, and then it's like three or four days until Super Tuesday. And he made the point that, like, let's say – you know, let's say uh, Sanders kind of underperforms in Nevada, and let's say that um, you know Biden kills it in South Carolina. Now, you know, not just holds on and wins, but like smashing victory, and you're seeing all these like, oh, come back, Joe, mm-hmm. blah 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 blah. Even if that's the case, the whole key with Super Tuesday is you need money to be running ads in all of those states, big big states, and there's just no way that. Again, even and these are these are highly debatable hypotheticals at this point. But even if he kind of gets, ex- if Joe Biden gets exactly what he needs, 
he's still not going to have probably any money or or after that big blowout win, any time to uh, raise money to be running ads in those states. And, and, and so, uh, you know, to a certain extent, you know, uh, uh, paid ads, not everything. Um, people, uh, there are debates, people get a lot of free media and stuff like that. But it shows you uh, the kind of the, you know, the the wall his back up his back is is up against. Yeah. So, well, let's. It's, uh, a, it's a tough situation for him. Yeah. Let's take care of a and little bit for of Warren. Yeah, absolutely. Let's take care of a little bit of business, and then we can dig in into more of these results. Right. So uh, remember that the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. You can brew it yourself with Grady's New Orleans style coarse ground coffee blend designed to work in any cold or hot coffee maker. One bag makes 24 servings of Grady's cold brew exactly the way you want it. Order online and receive 16 ounces of their famous blend of 100% Arabica beans and French chicory in a resealable pouch for long-lasting freshness. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. Or you can order Grady's at Amazon.com for next day delivery. You know, I was uh, I was emailing with a TPM reader in China. Oh, really? I think an, an American expat in, in, in China. I don't know how many uh, native Chinese uh, readers we have in China. Hopefully some. In any case, he was he was uh, largely talking. I can't I, I don't remember exactly where he is. I don't think he's in Wuhan, but he's you know, he's in China. So, so this is a much more much yeah. more immediate thing in China with the coronavirus. And he was kind of telling me about that. And then he mentioned uh, about the the podcast and Grady's, and he said how he's like, I really want to try Grady's, but I guess and and you know this isn't uh, uh, Grady's fault, but I guess when you get it shipped to China, you like it's distributed everywhere in the United States now, and it's available in some other countries, but I guess w- if you buy it in China. You know, someone has to kind of like UPS it over to you or right. something like that, and so he he thought it was it was too expensive. But you can see the demand, yeah, inter- for inter- for Grady's. Even, even people the- are just holding on from coronavirus, <laughs> the and they're globe, like, yeah. "Dude, I need some Grady's." Hey, points to him for trying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe he maybe he'll hear this and think like, "Dude, maybe just spring for the shit." Yeah, just <laughs> splurge once, give it a shot. Yeah, and happy then, uh, Valentine's Day. Have exactly. some coffee. <laughs> well, you can also if it if it's a. Uh, if it is a a weight of shipping issue, you know, Grady's also has these pouches of, you know, coffee grounds, right. basically. So that way you can kind of, you know, maximize your, your Grady's consumption and still keep it real on the shipping exactly, charges. Yeah. No, avoid all that water weight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because why are you, sh- I'm seriously, why are you shipping water <laughs> So across, there is no the excuse, sir. <laughs> no, there isn't. You know who you are. And I actually don't because I, for, I forget your name. I apologize. But we, 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 uh, we discussed this. So like, you know. You know, it, it's it's. I don't think there's any been any studies recently, but Grady's might even like you know if it's if it's touch and go with coronavirus. You know, I shouldn't joke, but you know, anyway, <laughs> trying to trying to have a little levity with what is obviously a very serious yeah, situation absolutely. in China and and in other in other countries, and we even have uh, we even have some cases here in the United States. Um, I think one, the only thing I've been following this pretty closely, and the one somewhat positive thing is that it seems like it is not 
that transmissible. It's clearly transmissible by casual contact. Otherwise, it wouldn't be exploding in China. Um, but it's interesting. There was I was I was reading a uh, reading an article in the Times, and they were talking about epidemiological breakdown, different you know different uh, pathogens and how they spread. And obviously, there are things like hepatitis and AIDS, which requires you know, some volume of, of direct exchange of, 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 of body fluids. And then you have other things like measles, where measles, it's not just like I'm standing in front of you and I sneeze and you breathe in some of that, you know, uh, contaminated air. It can actually go, it's, I think it said like measles can exist in the air for like 100 feet. Wow. So like if you're in like a subway car, and one person's at the other end of the car and they sneeze, like you could actually get it, right? And it can and it can um, it can persist on surfaces for long periods of time. And then you have this, and it and it what, you know, maybe for selfish reasons what I've been uh, watching pretty closely is is the structure of transmission in the United States. And most of the people who've been who have tested positive for it in the United States came from China, like seemed to have gotten it in China, and then they flew over here not knowing they were infected. And there have been a few cases of transmission in the United States, but those all seemed like people who were like living in the same house or like taking care of that person. So, and and that is obviously somewhat good news about the ability to possibly arrest or slow down the um I was interested in, in reading one of your posts about this, Josh. Um in just the increase in travel to and from China as it compared to like the SARS outbreak in what, 2003? Yeah, yeah, Is it something yeah. like four times as many kind of right. trips I think, in and out of the country? Or... I think this was basically train and air travel period. So a lot of that is internal and some of that is external, but yes, four times. And, and um, you know, maybe showing my age a bit, 2003 doesn't seem that long ago, 17 years ago, but it just shows you the very different epidemiological world that they are living in there. I mean, again, four times as much air and train travel. That's huge. So it really means that... And it um, speaks to what a, a a kind of rapidly, upwardly mobile Chinese population, right? Yeah. I mean, it's the story, in many ways, it's the story of our age, the, the, the explosive economic growth of China. And that means uh, huge amounts of infrastructure, which means a lot of transportation. It means um, a, uh, whether it's a middle class or not, it means a, a, a larger and larger percentage of a very large population having enough disposable income that you say, you know, you want to go on vacation to Beijing or you go on vacation to, you know, I'm not sure exactly where one goes on vacation inside China from China. Uh, but yeah, so that is, you you can see, I mean, the SARS thing was was different in a few different, in a, in a number of ways. But you can see, you know, obviously from an, from a, when you're dealing with a disease epidemiological crisis, ideally you want people to be not mobile at all. Everybody stay right where they are, right? And so that just shows how much more uh, challenging it is. And it's really kind of amazing when I was reading that article in the Times, like how much data there is. Like they know how many people flew out of China into the United States in the window of time when the infection was live and until, I mean, basically now the travel shut down. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, you know, again, if you can separate yourself from it being a very sobering uh, 
scary topic and one of great heartbreak for a lot of people, the amount of data that epidemiologists and public health officials are dealing with is, is fascinating. Yeah. Maybe we'll have to do a whole separate episode sometime yeah. on it. Yeah. But anyways, we can get back to uh, American politics. Kate, you wrote a piece just before we came in here kind of looking at the the split among the moderate vote. We talked about Klobuchar performing well, mm-hmm. Buttigieg a close second after, you know, essentially tying or maybe I guess he got one more delegate in Iowa than Sanders. Yeah, it's this endless d- debate about who really who really won. Right. It's basically a tie. Tell us about what you wrote and kind of what you're what you're kind of looking at across the campaign. Right. So I think you know, I kind of wanted to write about this after the, as it's been termed, the Clobus surge yesterday. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So basically, I think what we can take from that and from the only two contests we've had so far is that moderate support right now is very scattered and uh, kind of like unsticky. It seems that these people don't hugely have a horse that they're backing in the same way that people are backing Sanders. Like, I think if you look at the progressive nugget of it. It's a lot more predictable. You know, Sanders is benefiting at the expense of Warren. He is at he's been at the top of the pack, she's at the bottom. Whereas with the moderates, I think the support just doesn't seem to be so shored up to me. And even though you can attra- extrapolate some trends from these first two contests, I think looking ahead, you realize that just how messy it is because you know, Buttigieg has done well in these first two contests. So maybe you say he's the moderate front runner. And then you look at Nevada and South Carolina, where he's mired in the single digits. And there hasn't been a lot of polling since New Hampshire. It was last night. So maybe he gets a boost, you know, maybe he does a bit better, but he hasn't really demonstrated a whole lot of ability to coalition build with non-white voters, especially who make up a much bigger part of the electorate of the next two states. So And and are almost totally unrepresented in these first two states. Right, exactly. So you say, you know, where is Buttigieg's momentum going to go? You know, if you predict that that fizzles out and that Biden gets, even though, you know, he's been dinged from these first two contests for sure, has had worse than expected finishes, even in places like Iowa where he didn't expect to finish all that high, you know, if he rises in these next two states and Buttigieg falls, you know, Klobuchar is nowhere in the pollings for these next two states. So maybe she gets a boost from her bronze in New Hampshire. But if she doesn't, we say Biden rises at the expense of those two. And then the narrative of the moderates has totally changed again. And there's no clear moderate front runner. Meanwhile, Bernie Sanders is getting this lane to himself because they're doesn't, at least so far, seem to be a huge split among that coalition between him and Warren. Seems like she's kind of been tailing. And I think most worryingly for her, even though the Biden campaign is kind of limping into these next two contests, she was never really hanging her hat on either of these places to be like, I'm going to take hits, but I'm going to come back. And in the memo her campaign released yesterday... It seemed to be a kind of calm down to her supporters. The path they traced to the nomination is basically just a mishmash of delegates. They're hoping she'll get from a series of like top two finishes during Super Tuesday states. But, you know, that means her plan hinges on getting through four full states without a top place finish and somehow still having enough momentum to pick up delegates in these next states. You know, as Michael Bloomberg looms in the background and throws 
fistfuls of money into advertising. So on the moderate side, it's just things are really, really in flux right now. And that's not to say that there won't be some coalescing at some point, but it seems that there's not a ton of time to do that. And right now, the very clear beneficiary of those factions is Bernie Sanders. Right. You know, another way to look at that is that, you know, Sanders has a you know, the one thing you knew was not going to happen in New Hampshire is like, oh, Sanders collapsed and he went down to 5%. I mean, not only is it not going to happen after he did well in Iowa, but he's got supporters. It's not like, you know, you run into a Bernie Sanders supporter and they're for Bernie Sanders. It's not like they're kind of still looking, you know, they're for Bernie Sanders. And in other primary, in other primaries, when you have a person who has really dedicated support, they've notched up a few solid wins, maybe Iowa was, was a tie, but you know, whatever. You start the other, I mean, people who are shaken off from Biden or or Warren, he's going to pick those people up and suddenly he's over 30% and over 40% and other people's money starts drying up. And Maybe that will happen, but I think the other way to look at the flux uh, on the, you know, to me, it's not even like the moderates. Like Klobuchar, that's that's the, she's moderate. She's playing that. To me, Biden really isn't. Biden is just sort of like down the middle, sort of baseline Democrat in the, you know, in the, in the last decade post, you know, post Obama, whatever. Um, but it really seems to me that, again, he's not building those other people. He has that group, but the other... So, you know, people abandon Warren and uh, uh, Biden, and they prop up Klobuchar, or they're going to Bloomberg. And so I think that... Um, Wait, Buttigieg is who you're talking about, not being able to draw those people? Uh, uh, or Biden? Uh, uh, now I'm confusing myself. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that you have Biden and Warren who are falling quickly. Mm -hmm. And one day those numbers are going to Buttigieg. Another day they're going to Klobuchar. Another day they're going to Bloomberg. So they're running all over the place. They're not running to Sanders. Right, right. And again, the way these races are supposed to work and usually do work is that one person has a strong base of support, they start having wins, they start looking like a winner, and people start kind of gravitating towards them. He has not shown the ability to, to make that happen. So, and, and you know, from what, what was his final, like 27, 26? What was 26 that? 26-ish, yeah. Okay. So that is, that is not a bad... That is certainly not a bad showing with a lot of people in the race. Um, but that is not a, you know, it's kind of not a front runner showing either. Yeah, we were talking before we uh, started to record that in 2016, he got 60% of the vote in New Hampshire. And again, it was about, a, it was like a two-person race. Yeah, it was a two-person race. Time, but yeah, I, I don't think there's anything, there's, what I am suggesting here is certainly not proven on the basis of these two races we're going to see in the in the next you know in 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 the next few weeks but i think there are i think there's a decent amount of evidence to show that he he is he is having a hard time 
breaking out of being a factional candidate. Well, and I also think that's because he doesn't that's not his brand to be a unifier so he it's not like he's putting all his energy and trying to bring people together and they just won't budge you know it was something um we covered the new hampshire debate or the debate right before new hampshire primary in manchester and you know i was kind of on the lookout that whole time for signaling from sanders that he was going to try to ride out this front runner this new front runner status you know, with Buttigieg, but or to kind of signal to people, you know, I'm on track in Iowa, in New Hampshire, in Nevada. Here's my new like front runner persona I'm putting on. And he like made one comment about how he'd be willing to compromise with Republicans on common ground once he got into office. But aside from that kind of cursory lip service to the idea of being a unifying candidate. It's just, it's not his brand. He's the outsider. He won't become a real Democrat. You know, it's, that is his thing. And that's what people like about him. And they like his consistency in that. I I saw an email we got from a, from a New Hampshire reader who was at an event of his and, or, you know, sometimes they have these events where it's kind of everybody, you know, everybody's invited and everybody gives a little speech. And she said that he did seem to be showing some of that, that mm-hmm. he had kind of his, um, I, I, I don't remember the ins and outs of her email, but that he was kind of doing that. We're all Democrats. I mean, you know, <laughs> most of us are, not you, but you know, but you get the idea. We're all Democrats. We have to come together. And, and, and um, you're right. It's not his brand, but more than that, it's not kind of characterologically him. Mm-hmm. And that is, it's it's often is the case in politics. The thing that is your greatest strength is also can also be a weakness. And um, I'll tell you again, my big concern about a Sanders candidacy has always been a, a Sanders general election candidacy. Is that the general election would be, you know, half against Trump. And half against the, you know, quote unquote, Democratic Party establishment, which in my mind, often what he is talking about, about the Democratic Party establishment is like Democrats, right? (laughs) Because sure, there's an establishment, but it's not, this isn't like a ward boss situation in Chicago in 1950. What you're talking about, kind of the, 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 you know, ideologically unsatisfying things that Democrats seem to do and the kind of candidates they seem to support. And um, that is not a, I don't think that's a recipe for victory um, because you've got to get everybody pumped. And, and if, if, a, if a significant portion of the people who you are trying to get pumped, you are basically running against, you know, sort of like in, in a... Uh, in a in a civil war situation where kind of like are you going to come in and you know come behind our lines and admit what you did wrong <laughs> you know I, I know that's a bit overstated but but it that really is the question to me can he do that now obviously he can't come in and say like hey you know i might i might put joe lieberman on my ticket right mm-hmm. i mean he's got to stay who he is but there are signals that he can send kind of like not everybody agrees with me about everything. That's fine. But we have a terrible person in the presidency. Mm-hmm. We're going to get together. We're going to run a race, bring together all the different people who really have had enough of this presidency. And we're going to win. 
and and you know so i i think you can you can do both things it's not clear to me that he has it in him to do it and the other thing is that you know at a certain point you become captive to your supporters you can't do what is really inimical to them and that's a, that's an issue that's an issue too so we're really going to see i mean at least what i fear and half expect is that he will continue to be the sort of the rump front runner through these races like maybe getting the most votes but getting the most votes with like 25% mm-hmm. Let's talk about Biden quickly, because Josh and and Kate, something we've talked about on the podcast a lot over the last few weeks and maybe months even is that poll after poll of general election matchups against Trump show that Biden consistently beats the president. Right. And that he's for the most part, Biden has been like out in front among the other Democratic candidates that changed a little bit this week. There was a Quinnipiac national poll that showed Sanders for the first time uh, leading I guess leading the Democratic field. Well, actually, Bloomberg was re- was by, but they were all pretty close. I think Bloomberg actually had oh, the is that right? Mar- uh, yeah, but it was they were all yeah. I think it was, um, you know, maybe Bloomberg by nine points, Bernie by eight points, and Biden by seven points, right. or some something like that. So, what do you what do you make of the position Biden finds himself in now? My biggest fear about him is that it's an organizational issue. Like I read an article about how their precinct captains were untrained during the Iowa caucuses and they lost people on realignment because people didn't know what they were doing or how to count. And the fact that he announced that he was leaving New Hampshire for South Carolina while the polls were still open was like shocking to me. Like, I get you, maybe you don't want cameras on you in your watch party when you're coming in fifth, but you're going to project to the entire state that you're just giving up. And it, what, that is something that's concerning to me because he, of all the candidates, is for better, for worse, unpolished, usually uncalculated, you know, that's, and that's the flip side of his, un- uh, his authenticity. But so a candidate like that needs a, a staff to like polish this stuff. And when reporters, you know, came up to him and were like, why are you leaving New Hampshire for South Carolina? The most obvious question you can ask, he's like, oh, you know, like there are more states than just this, you know, like blah, blah. It's like, you don't even have a good answer. <laughs> I, I would say... <laughs> I partly disagree on the New Hampshire thing because mm-hmm. I think they saw they were going to get crushed. And, and so kind of nothing to lose. And also you can kind of say like, you know, sort of like when, you're, when your girlfriend or boyfriend breaks up with you. I never loved you anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of getting ahead of it. But I agree with you on the, on the Iowa stuff. And I think I remember talking to someone who was like an Iowa precinct captain or involved in his campaign like in either 96 or 88 or when you know sometime in the distant past and that it was kind of similar and you know it's not the candidate that does that kind mm-hmm. of stuff but you know fish rots from the top right or from the head or whatever um so i do agree with that and i also agree with you that you know there's this um there's this thing of people saying like, oh, everybody said Biden was so electable. Here he is in fourth place, you know, womp, womp, womp. Well, <laughs> the pervasive thing through this whole, you know, through this whole process is it's a different thing in a primary than a general. Mm-hmm. That should be really obvious. It's not obvious to a lot of people. It is entirely possible 
Um, in some ways, it is even likely that someone who would be the best uh, general election candidate might really struggle to get traction in a, uh, if, if you think you hear hammers, we, it is, there's someone doing construction <laughs> uh, joys of New York City across the, across in the <laughs> building next to us. So we apologize, but we're going to, um, we're going to not pretend it's not happening. And I probably it'll, it'll end in a second. Um, that's not surprising. Uh, because to a great extent, obviously what you need to do is you need to energize your own people. But to a great extent, it is how many of those people who are, it's not just the people who are quote unquote moderates, it's people who aren't like party affiliated, who are kind of floating around, aren't too ideological, how many of those people you can get. And I think the polls have shown Biden has more reach into the, into, into, into that world, especially in the upper Midwest. Having said that, at a certain point, it's hard to be coming in fourth and fifth place and like maintain just a sense of like, oh, you're going to kick, you know, it's just, it's, it's. Well, I also, I think that's a good point. And I think that kind of, you know, what I was saying earlier about him being the best general, not the best primary is that candidate is that his qualities that I think make him a really attractive option against Trump are his empathy, his likability, his kind of like, geniality even and those qualities are all stem i think from this base of comfort that you Mm -hmm. know biden would be a empathetic consoler in chief type and for people who are really worn out by the constant you know hatred and vitriol that trump spews that is really comforting but for someone who's looking to get amped behind a candidate who's promising revolution or change or fresh ideas Biden is the stability candidate, so that's yeah. not what he's promising. Yeah. But I agree with you. I just, I don't, I have not really counted Biden out yet, but I think, I don't know how you become, how you balance both things. I don't know how you're both. Yeah, I haven't counted him out yet. Not so much because, I mean, by any normal standards, these two first showings, he'd be like toast, basically. Mm-hmm. Um the one thing is he's the former vice president and that just gives him a certain um, buoyancy mm-hmm. that, uh, uh, you know, that, that the others don't have. He's, I guess Sanders is in a, a small national lead now, but that's only very recent. Yeah. That could certainly fall back down if things shift a little bit. So he's certainly very high up in the, in, in, in the national polls. We've seen how, how um, evanescent that can be. But the other thing is, is that again, if it's true that that by that uh, um, Sanders has a hard time expanding out from like a quarter of the Democratic electorate, it, someone's got you know, <laughs> there's got to be someone else out there, just because that leaves seventy five percent of the right. electorate up for grabs. And so, and 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 if if Buttigieg were a different candidate. Uh, to me, he's a very, I don't want to say he's a niche candidate. I, I think it's that he has a, he seems to appeal to a, f- a relatively narrow slice of the Democratic electorate. So I don't think it's going to be him. And you're kind of like process of elimination. It's going to, you know, someone's going to, uh, it's got to la- land on someone. Now, the, the, the new factor here is, well, Mike Bloomberg, who is, you know, uh, 
I, I saw this thing that he's already spent three hundred yep. million dollars. I mean, that is. Just, <laughs> I didn't know he had already spent that. And much he's going to double some of his ad spending, right after um, after Biden's collapse, I yeah. guess in well, Iowa. Okay, the thing about Mike Bloomberg. First of all, I looked up his net worth for the story I wrote right before we came in here, and just sixty one point five billion dollars. Okay, whatever. I can't even conceive of like a million. But <laughs> moving on from that, it's just. He said this whole time, he's like, I will be there if Biden falters. Like, I'm going to make sure that I'll be the the fall, the fall fail-safe gap. You know, I'll make he actually, sure. He actually said Yeah, that. that's okay. what he said yeah. at the beginning, that when he was considering his candidacy, like, we'll see if Biden is too weak a candidate. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. But while you're scuttling around in the background, shoring up Super Tuesday uh, sites for yourself, you can't. You can't say, like, I'm not contributing to Biden's fall directly because he is. He's giving people another option and people who are being barraged with all these ads from his virtually bottomless pockets Mm -hmm. are like, well, Biden's doing terribly. Yeah. And here he is. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a push and a pull. I mean, if Biden were killing it, there wouldn't be the oxygen for Bloomberg. Um, So his rise is, I think, to a great extent, a measure of of. Biden's weakness. Um, but yes, he certainly is catalyzing it. Absolutely no question. Um, and yeah, it is such a, it's a weird thing because, um, you know, I lived here for most of Bloomberg's morality and I certainly watched from, from the very beginning. And there were some there were some big i mean to me well there were two big negatives the one big negative is that he held on to a lot of the aggressive policing policies that that he inherited from Rudy Giuliani and were interpreted i think it's now clear wrongly as being responsible for the for the dramatic drop in crime in the city um stop and frisk is the is the sort of the key you know poster boy of that but it 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 goes beyond that and then the other is that someone told this to me one time may have even been it may have even been bill de blasio (laughs) this is weird i actually interviewed de blasio when he was running the first time in any case i don't maybe it wasn't him someone told me this but i think it's generally understood that that bloomberg's vision was you you know you make manhattan sort of a playground for affluence and that creates a tax base and you use the taxes to kind of do cool things for everybody else. Um, and certainly in Manhattan, he did a lot of things that were great. You know, a lot of kind of cha- you know, kind of new urbanism kind of stuff that I certainly liked. Um, Bloomberg, it's not just it's not just a spin that he's been a big force on climate. I think he spent about a half a billion dollars closing down coal plants. There's a He has, for the last decade, um, employed an army of lawyers who every time a coal plant comes up for recertification, they go in there and just bludgeon it to death and it has to be closed down. So he is like, he's he's been a huge force on climate. He's He's big on the gun thing. So there's a lot of things that progressives care about, that he's not just on that side, that he has spent a lot of his money on. Um, The big thing, I mean, again, the stop and frisk thing is a big, big problem for him. Um, There's certainly smoke about at least a very kind of locker room culture 
to use Trump's phrase at 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 Bloomberg at the at at the company. And I think he has even said like you know inappropriate jokes in front of women and and I don't think we know I'm only being vague. I don't think we know yeah. the whole thing. These are obvious shortcomings in a in a candidate. Well, and not just Trump. shortcomings, but you're talking shortcomings with black voters and with female voters, aka the backbone of the Democratic Party. And that is the that is the that's the question. I mean, Bloomberg had a lot of support within the African American community when he was mayor. Um, Which you can kind of tell from polling because all of the black vote basically that's been leached from Biden has has gone to Bloomberg. Bloomberg. Yeah. So if you set aside those issues, in some ways, you know, the the sort of the Bernie left DSA crowd has this concept that they have articulated about neoliberalism. And I think it is a very problematic one because neoliberalism actually has four or five relatively distinct definitions. And the people in that world tend to, you know, anybody who's not for Sanders is a neoliberal, basically. In some ways, Bloomberg is the, he is the best of what neoliberalism has to offer. And I, what I mean by that is, and, and I say that in the context of the ways in which neoliberalism has, has largely failed. And I would, for these purposes, I would define neoliberalism as a governing model where you basically give markets pretty much free reign, free reign to markets, free reign to capital. You then use the taxes that that, that generates to give it to uh, policy experts and technocrats who will use that money to do a lot of good things that liberals want. Okay. Now, that is, that is kind of Bloomberg's thing. And, and there are much worse versions of, 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 of neoliberalism. That's kind of the best version of it, right? But it's still that thing. And he is still, um, he's a Wall Street Democrat. Now, he's, I think he has recognized that he can't, he can't go into a Democratic primary just like that. So I guess he's put out a wealth tax. He's saying inequality is, is, is sort of a centerpiece of his campaign. Um, I, I just say all that, that it is, it's pretty weird that we're here. Right. But I do think for a lot of people, a lot of people who are committed Democrats, not terribly ideological, really more center left, they look at it and say, you know, he could, we could do a fuck of a lot worse. And in fact, we are doing a fuck of a lot worse right now. This guy has billions of dollars. He's picking up support. He's got a certain he seems to be able to get under Trump's skin and take it to take it to Trump. Yeah, Trump was I, tweeting about him last night. Mini Mike, terrible and, night for Mini Mike right, Bloomberg or something. Which totally part of that is I think people, it's easier in your head to see a one-to-one matchup. And obviously Bloomberg is like far wealthier than Trump. I mean, we think. No one really knows how much money Trump has. Well, even, <laughs> even based on Trump's own. Yeah, what he says <laughs> he has. Even yeah, on what he mul- says he has. Exponentially, that he's, yeah. Yeah, that he's, that he's multiples. At, but it's quite, yeah. But I mean, I mean the idea of... You know, putting that aside a little bit, you've got like two New Yorker businessy type guys who have got a lot of money who, you know, get in New York scraps like you're not afraid to go after each other. And I think that kind of has given people the idea that like Bloomberg could could take him on due to his pockets, due to his background, due to their similarities and those kind of superficial ways. Mm -hmm. It does sound kind of fun to watch a Bloomberg Trump debate. Doesn't it? I just don't. I think any any of them would trounce Trump so thoroughly. I don't know. I think 
any of them would trounce Trump thoroughly on on the bases that we judge debates by. It's not clear to me in terms of its political effect. Mm. I mean, look, someone just emailed um, a little before we came on the air and made the point like, look, the one pr- what I, I'm worried that what is, you know, driving Bloomberg forward is everybody thinks that maybe he's the only one who can get it done when in fact Trump is a historically unpopular incumbent that really probably all these candidates could beat him. So let's not like run off to another billionaire. And let's be clear, not just a billionaire, a billionaire who owns a news organization. Right. That is a big, big problem, right? Now, I don't think I, I, I certainly assume that if he did not divest himself, um, Bloomberg would be a lot he would not be sleazy the way that Trump is, but he still owns a news organization. And it employs, I mean, thousands of journalists around the world. It's one of the biggest probably headcount in the world. Probably. Yeah, it is really hard to see how you, you know, absent him selling it, which, again, this is always the, I mean, at this level, like, who's going to buy it? Joe down the street? Right. No, I mean it's 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 a it's one of the biggest companies in the or you know certainly one of the biggest news organizations in the world. That is a whole problem. And and I will say that um, when he was mayor, the idea was that he had he obviously hadn't sold his company, but he had like you know turned it over to another CEO. I'm not involved. I think the general consensus has been that after he left being mayor, it was. It kind of came out. He wasn't quite so uninvolved. And like, it's not surprising. It's your company. Right. You're really not going to take name, a phone his call. His name is on a, the building, right? Yeah, when a big decision is made, you know, it's, uh, you know, but I do think, I think he would really, um, I think he, I think he would do very well in a debate against Trump because Trump would go in with a lot to prove and a lot of insecurity and, you know, <laughs> Bloomberg has the, you know, the big billionaire energy, right? It's that thing. I'm worth $60 billion. You know, I mean, but you're not, that part you're of a phony. It, that's also just so deeply concerning to me. No, Along I, with the outlet, the idea that you can not bother at all with the first four states, even first six, really, and that you have well, enough money to buy it after and, that. And really, it's not even like the first four or six. It's really all of them. He's basically saying, "I'm not going to run in the primary. I'm going to run. I'm going to yeah, have my name on the a national ballot. Campaign, yeah. I'm going to. I'm going to run a TV national campaign, and I'm not even going to pay attention to these other people. I'm running against Trump, and I think that has been a big strength. So yes, he can. His money now. I would say, he was mayor of New York for three terms. That is he not. He like the, changed the rules in order to get the third term. Is the, that right? Something like that. Yes, he had them change change the rules <laughs> cool, to make. Cool, cool. But, but I mean, my point is that that is, and it was a good period for New York. So you yeah. know, kind of a, a a an easier time than some to to you know to be reelected a few times. But that is that is not that demonstrates some real political skill. So I don't think we can say, well, anybody who just kind of threw up all this money. I mean, Tom Steyer. Not money to the same extent, but he's pretty much, I mean, he's made the debate stage, but no one's ever really taken him seriously. Yeah. And he's never gotten any traction. Right. So I get, my point is, I don't think we, it's not just money. There are things that make him an attractive candidate for a lot of people. 
mayor of New York is a big position. He did it as sort of a national thing. Um, but yes, he, his money allows him to just opt out of the of the intra-democratic uh, primary process. And, you know, billionaires are, there is no question that the, you know, billionaires are one of our big problems. I'm not against someone being a billionaire, but, you know, you have, you've got Trump, you've got his billionaire cronies, you've got uh, Jeff Bezos, who, like, is really kind of uh, bringing it to Trump and the thing about whether the Saudis hacked him and then this lawsuit, but he's another billionaire. So it's like we're living in Gotham City, right? Yeah. Between the big, you know, the big billionaires and now maybe Democrats have another big and maybe he's a good billionaire. So it does, you know, yes, it is part of the problem. I mean, having said all that, I think that there is a very big difference between a authoritarian, rightist, nationalist billionaire and a billionaire that would probably govern in a fairly conventional way. I think that is a huge difference, but it doesn't make it nothing. Yeah. It right. still makes it that it is, he is part of the problem that is one of the bigger problems in our society today. I, He'll be a, sorry, go ahead. I just, yeah, on my ending note is just the precedent of using money in an election that way, even though already our campaign finance system is a shambles, yeah. but that's, just such another level when you can spend three hundred million dollars like it's five dollars. Yeah, I mean, blink. where does yeah. it end? Yeah. So. Well, we'll see him on the debate stage for the first time next week because they right? changed the rules. Yeah. Well, is that is that confirmed? <laughs> I I thought that they had that it seemed like he would get the polls that he needed, but is that is it actually confirmed now? I guess I don't know if it's a hundred percent. I um, the reporting I, I saw, I think. Yeah, was assuming that he would be on the stage. I guess we'll see. Yeah, I thought in I the think, next. Few I days. thought I saw something a few days or two or three days ago that said like looks like he will, but so far he's only has one poll that would, could be would right. Count. Yeah, I'm actually. You know, it's funny. Do, but even I, the Q poll that came out a couple of days ago that has to account for something too, right? Maybe that's the one. I, yeah. I have. I have no idea. Maybe I was misinterpreting something. I mean, I actually don't think. I don't think there's anything wrong with. Th that rule change. I don't even really think it's necessarily a rule change. I mean, they have changed the rules for each successive debate. Each one has had different rules. Um, and th the other thing, it, I mean, first of all, the party should not be running the debates. That is a bad, bad idea. It didn't used to be the case. It's basically partly an outgrowth of what happened in, in, in 2016. I think they may have done it in 2016 to an extent. I think so, because there were a lot of those Saturday night debates that were supposed to kind of lock it in for Hillary, right? And not sort of give Bernie the edge or that, right. that I at mean, least was the kind of the argument. That was the Bernie line. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, to me, okay, right now, it seems like he's basically in third in the national polls. Bloomberg, right? Bloomberg. Yeah. It seems absurd on its face that you would keep that person out of the debate. I don't care what the thing is. It's just... That makes no sense. And I think the crazy thing is that um, the other candidates are saying, hey, he's getting a free pass. No one's asking him any questions. Well, get him in the debate. So, I, again, I, I just. I hear you. I think that ire comes from people who are mad that Cory Booker and, you know, Julian Castro got boxed out because they weren't doing well enough for a myriad of reasons. And you can, I think optically it looks shitty to have the rich white man get to be in the debate 
when he wouldn't have gotten to otherwise, while the candidates of color, one of whom is a sitting U.S. senator, failed to make the stage. And I think there are a lot more factors behind both of those things. But the optics are just kind of weird. I agree with you. I mean, optics are are in optics literally are are subjective. (laughs) Uh, To me, it's just not the same because, you know, especially Booker, I really wanted him to get traction. And he wasn't my candidate, but I really liked him. So I was very disappointed with that. But the reality is both of those candidates were failing to get any traction. And that is why they were excluded from the debates. It wasn't that they were coming on strong and, and, and some obscure rule made it so they couldn't get into the debate. They were not getting any traction. That is just ob- objectively the case. With Bloomberg, he's getting lots of traction. He's third. He, he is rising quickly and he's in third place. Now, his money is a necessary condition of that. Absolutely. So it sort of all grows out of, mm-hmm. the, of the basic issue that he's a billionaire. But I don't, um, I don't, I don't buy this idea that, oh, you know, they kind of changed rooms, rules for Bloomberg and didn't change the rules for uh, Booker and, and Castro because... What rule would they have changed? Yeah, for what them? rule would they have changed? I mean, would they make it? You could a be, diversity rule or something. Yeah, and I I think that is. I I totally hear I what you're saying. I think that's a real. I think you're not wrong. That's a problem, and 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 I guess the idea was, basically, I, I don't think that's what they were asking for. They were basically saying, hey, just let more people in, right. like you know, kind of pull the pull the, the uh, you know the benchmarks down, and there's a. There's a logic to this. I mean, I guess what it comes down, I mean, again, this is why parties should not be running the debates because you can have one news organization say, hey, we're just inviting the top people. And another one says, hey, you know, you guys come and maybe kind of uh, shame the front runner into coming. It just, it, it, it attaches the party to decisions that are, are, it's hard to be, it's hard to be fair in a way that everybody thinks you're fair. Right. It's just a bad idea. I hope they give it up for next. Yeah. Next. Cycle. All right. Well, I think we're out of time, so we can leave it there. But we'll have coverage of that debate next week. I think, Kate, you and I are working that. So stay and tuned. And what day is it? It's on Wednesday, I want to say. That sounds right. And then Saturday is Nevada. So another busy week. Life comes at you fast. It does. But, th- but this this weekend is nothing. This That's is right. a bye weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Before and the next, the next, the next two weekends are Nevada and South Carolina. And then right. Super Tuesday. So yeah. the fun ones stop. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Remember, uh, the Josh Marshall Podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. If you're ready to give it a swirl, get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TBM. Or... Order Grady's on Amazon.com for next day delivery. All right. All right. Later, folks. Bye. Thanks.